classrooms of America. There, your children's lives will be shaped. the 180 Days Podcast, where teachers and leaders from the education community come to share their wisdom and experience to help educators survive, thrive, and better serve the needs of students. Welcome to the 180 Days Education Podcast. We are excited to have you with us for this episode. Um, I'm Karen Greenhouse, one of the hosts, and I am joined by Tim Pope, our other host. So say hello, Tim. Hello, Tim. You knew that was a bad joke that had to be said. As a bad joke that had to be said, and so there, then it was said, and now we can move on. <laughs> we are excited to have with us um, Anne-Marie Owens, who is a neighbor of mine, but also a teacher in fifth grade, and we are having this continuing conversation with different teachers just to get the experiences that they are having dealing with COVID-19 and all the weird school openings and closings and remote teaching, hybrid teaching. So Anne-Marie, I want to thank you for coming and you can tell us a little bit about yourself. You don't have to mention your school or your district, but you know, what is it you teach? How long have you been teaching those types of things? So welcome. All right. Well, thank you for inviting me. Um, So as Karen said, I I teach fifth grade. This is my 32nd year of teaching. Wow. Um, um, So when this all started um, back in the spring, We did um, all um, virtual teaching, but we, in our district, we did all asynchronous teaching back in last spring. And when school opened in September, we did virtual teaching, but we did it live with our students until the end of September. And as September 29th, we have been doing the hybrid approach where I have Monday, Tuesday, I have about 13 students in front of me. And I have 14 students on a monitor that are with us virtually. And Wednesdays, we do all virtual teaching. And Thursday and Friday, I have 12 other students in front of me. And then I have the other students on a monitor that are learning along with us. So, Anne-Marie, I did want to stop real quick. And just for those people who may not know, though hopefully most people do because we have educators listening. But let's talk real quick asynchronous, hybrid, synchronous, what are those terms? Just so we're kind of all on the same page. Sure. Um, I guess I hear them all the time. So I just, uh, people don't know what they mean. So asynchronous means that we will post lessons on a Google Classroom or record ourselves. And then the students access that on their own time. Um, Where synchronous is where I'm actually in front of a computer and I am teaching live to the students through Zoom. And hybrid is when we have some of our students at home that are joining us for a Zoom meeting, and some of the students are in front of us in the actual physical classroom. So, Tim, if I'm not mistaken, you're doing the hybrid approach as well. Yeah, but it's a it's a different model. And um, Amory, I teach at a K-12 school, so this model we're doing all the way across, um, which is it's... Um, we're hybrid, but the students, I mean, maybe this is what you just said, but the students on ca- off campus are, are logging into zoom to the classes while I teach them. So that's what you're doing as well. 
Yes. So I am teaching in front of my classroom. So I have a monitor with the students on Zoom. So they're actually watching me. I'm being live streamed to them and I'm teaching live in front of uh, the students that are in person. That seems just so complicated. So (laughs) So can you see, obviously you see the students that are in front of you, but are you seeing also the students that are watching Zoom? I mean, are you having to monitor both? That seems like a very challenging process. Yes, that is very challenging. Yes. So I'm looking at my students in front of me and the monitors to the right of me. So I'm constantly moving my head to see the students that are on the monitor. However, not all students keep their cameras on. And that's been a bit of a challenge, too. So sometimes I'll look at my monitor and I might only see five cameras on and I'll just see that other students just have their names there. So I'm, I'm curious because this has been an issue at my school, too, and I've read some articles about it. This whole deal with cameras um, during distance learning, I mean, whether it's in a hybrid model like ours or in a pure distance model, does your school have a policy around cameras? Are your, is your school requiring them? Um, and what are your feelings about it? Just because I know there's, like I said, I've read a lot of different opinions. It's interesting you say that because we had a morning meeting. We do morning meetings in elementary school and we just, you know, have different activities. And it was a big discussion about cameras. So right now the district's policy is, is that students do not have to turn their cameras on. We can encourage them, but we cannot force it. However, there has been some discussion with our school board that, um, that it might be something that they will require students to put cameras on for a certain amount of time. And if they don't, then that would, they could be recorded as being absent. And I'm, well, hey, I'm curious about two things. First of all, what's the district's motivation behind that sort of a in the middle approach? And second, what's your, just what are your personal feelings about cameras? I have to say in the beginning, I was all about, I'm not going to force them to put on their cameras because they might feel self-conscious with their surroundings. But now that we've been doing this for a while, I'm finding that when students don't have their cameras on and I call them and ask them a question, they don't respond. And my thought process is, is where are they? Because their camera on, I don't know if they're actually physically there part of the lesson. And, and that's an interesting question, too, because your, your students are young, fifth grade. So what's that? 10, 11? 10, 11. So, you know, are these kids that are in the remote situation, are their parents home that are checking it? Are they home alone? So, you know, is there anyone who's kind of making sure they're in class? I mean, this must be just a huge uh, problem, dilemma. Like, how do you make sure they're actually actively participating? I can't really, um, you know, many times, I don't know if their parents are right there because many times the students look like they might be either in their room or they might be at the kitchen table. Sometimes I see parents walking back and forth behind them, but it is, it is um, a tough thing because when their cameras are off and when I call them and then I keep repeating their name and repeating their name and I don't hear anything, I don't know where they are. That just seems so difficult. Maybe they went to the bathroom, you know, (laughs) you don't know. So I did have to ask, how are the students? So is it the same students that are in the classroom and the same students that are remote or does it switch at different days? It's supposed to be the same. It's called cohort A. The same students Monday and Tuesday in front of me and the same students I monitor virtually and Thursday, Friday, the same However, there are some times where I'll have parents email me saying so-and-so is virtual today. And because of privacy, I can't really ask why. Well, that must just be so hard to keep track of. 
I mean, are there some students that are always with you face-to-face? Uh, no, I do have some students four days a week if they have IEPs that they have the option to have four days a week. And just for those of you who may not know what an IEP is, individual education plan, usually for students that have, you know, some type of learning disability or processing disability, something like that. Exactly. So my next question, this seems really hard to keep track of, you know, so you don't necessarily know where all the students are, if they're all doing the work that you've assigned, uh, you know, classwork, whatever. So how are you assessing? How are you grading? How are you making sure everyone's in the same quote place? That's a good question. Um, When we do give them assessments, um, we use Google Forms. But again, I don't really know if the students who are at home that day happen to have another device or a cell phone because I can't see everything. And our school district does have something called GoGuardian. So if the student is logged in through a school device, I can actually see what tabs they have open. Um, But again, they could have a cell phone near them or they could have something else that I cannot monitor. Our school district did decide for elementary for the first marking period. We did not give them grades on their report card because we're still kind of learning how to assess students this way. Yeah, that has been a a huge trial. I mean, we've been, I mean, even with just distance learning and hybrid, um, how to do a a summative assessment, at least anything with any stakes because of all the things you just said. Um, I know our school, we have this whole list of requirements. It's a whole finagle. I'm giving a test tomorrow and the kids have to have, well, that's now the one thing we do require is if we're giving a summative assessment, a student can't take the summative or the test is what most people would call it. Um, You can't take the test unless your camera's on um, is a requirement. And then they have to position their camera in such a way that we see their papers and we see what they're writing on the paper um, and what's on their desk. Now, and then you can usually, but I mean, the reality is someone can have something behind their monitor or whatever. So there's no foolproof way, but it is a, it is a significant challenge. Yeah, I can understand that. And I do ask my students to keep their cameras on when we do an assessment, but I cannot force them. And I have some students who send me a chat through Zoom asking if they can turn their camera off because they can concentrate and focus better on a test when they don't have a camera on. Wow. Yeah. You don't even think about the, the the pressure, because it's like having, I mean, I know I hate having someone standing over my shoulder watching me, and that's, I guess, what a camera watching you would feel like. Well, yeah, you feel like someone's watching all the time. I know, I, uh, I don't know, Anne-Marie, how many students you have on IEPs, but a frequent IEP um, accommodation that I give is uh, whenever I give a summative, there are certain students that are required to be allowed to go into a breakout group so that they, uh, so they're still on camera. Um, but then uh, there's only like one other student there and they're not, they don't feel like the whole class is watching them take a test. Right. I have a teacher assistant that we are able to do that, that she can um, have breakout rooms with students in case they need questions read aloud or other accommodations. So I did want to ask, so obviously grading and assessing our, our difficulties in this COVID time and this weird constant change of, of how school is done. Uh, but I did want to ask, how do you feel, you know, you've been 32 years teaching. Awesome. Great. That's amazing. <laughs> Go you. I'll do a little applaud there. How do you feel your students are doing compared to if you were in a face-to-face? Like, are you 
feeling that they're really far behind or are some things better because of this kind of remote approach? It's interesting. Some students are thriving well virtually, but I would think I teach all subjects. I feel like teaching math virtually and even we're so limited with the students who are in front of us. Our math program is very hands-on that the students have manipulatives. They work with partners. They have partner discussions. So I I feel it's very difficult to deliver math um, the way that I would like to when we before COVID. So I, I just, I feel it is much, much harder for them. Other subjects, I think science has also been a bit of a challenge. Um, We're teaching less units where the kids usually do hands-on experiments. So now we're showing them YouTube videos or we're we're demonstrating it. So uh, for elementary students not to have that hands-on experience, I just, it's really hard for them to have the same experience. Yeah, because I guess you, you can't actually have them even work with a partner because they have to stay six feet apart or whatever it is. Yeah, even when they're in person, they can't they can't share materials. They can't be that close. I can have them sit. Um, I today in math we did partners, and I could let them sit six feet away in the hallway and and talk to each other. Wow, <laughs> I would. I'm I'm trying to picture that. That seems like a lot of yelling in the hall. <laughs> yes, it was. Emory, did your school give you a pole? Like my school, they gave us a six foot pole so that we can always measure that everyone's far enough apart. They didn't give us that, but I know our principal walks around with one because uh, he'll come in and just check the desks and he's got this pole to make sure that they're um, six feet. Wow, new tools, who knew? So speaking of principals, since we're on that, as a teacher, obviously you get observed, right? So how is that kind of changed or are they just not even bothering with teacher evaluation or classroom, you know, support coaching because it's just so difficult in this time? Well, I I have not had it happen yet um, this year, but I know our principal has told us that they are still required to do observations and they would be done virtually. So our principal would ask to join our Zoom class meeting and he would not, he would not put his camera on because he didn't want to bring attention to himself and he would do his observations through that means. Okay, that seems, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Keep them out of the room. But then, you know, what are they observing? Because it's such a different way of teaching, right? You're trying to reach two different types of situations. So how, I'm wondering if they're changing their evaluation forms. And I remember as an administrator, I had, you know, a checklist, right, that I was looking for. Well, it would be very different if you're now in this Zoom hybrid environment. Yeah, I'm not sure. Nothing has been shared with us as far as a checklist or what kind of feedback we will be getting. Um, So I don't know if any of my colleagues have had our principal pop into the Zoom meeting. Um, Typically, um, with our evaluation plan, um, depending on we have different um, tiers. Um, There's focused professional development where you have a big formal observation or if you're on collaborative colleagues, you work with your colleagues in planning and your principal will come in and they call it informals. Well, they'll come in and and they will just watch what you're doing informally and they will then give you some written feedback. Yeah, I would would hope that they are going to say, here's what we're looking for because a Zoom environment, I mean, have you, do you feel like you've had enough professional development on even how to teach online or in this hybrid environment? environment? Because that 
could work against a lot of teachers if they're very uncomfortable, you know, even using technology. Um, and then they're being evaluated based on that. So I would hope that they're going to give you kind of a, here's what we're looking for. Here's really what we're focused on. But you never know. I mean, it seems like it's been pretty, I guess, open that our principal doesn't want to put pressure on us because he knows we're working so hard. So I think the impression I get is that he's going to pop in to see how things are going. And it's not something that we should feel pressured about, that it's just something that he's required to do. And, you know, he's he's been very it's his first year being a principal. So I'm sure he's feeling his way as well. Yeah, I think a sign of successful leadership and administration this year is you have to give teachers the ability to fail. Um, I mean, just like Emory, you were talking about with the current hybrid model, um, we have to have the ability because there it's not like there's research out there. Uh, it's not like there are books to read or courses we could take on how to do this because this is all pretty new. And so, I mean, at least for me, and I don't know if Emory, maybe you can speak to this as well. Um, I have found this year to be a huge trial and error, like try something. And then if it doesn't work, try something else. Yeah, I, even though our district, I mean, we did have training that at end of August, early September. But honestly, until you're in the thick of it, I think it doesn't matter. You just have to figure it out. And it's not even day by day. I feel like it's minute by minute. So like I, I know Tim and I talk about what he's been doing and he's, you know, using new tools. Are there any new like technology tools that you found are a good replacement for what you might have done in the classroom? Or are you really still struggling with that? You know, is there anything that you're finding invaluable now? Um, we're still, I feel like we're just kind of trying to see what is out there. There's something called Nearpod. I don't know if you've heard of that. Um, that's a great tool that you can take like a Google slideshow and you can put it into this presentation and the kids get a code and you can add inter interactive activities like the kids can draw pictures about the subject that you're teaching. And we can all see it at the same time. Um, I can embed videos in it. And there, there's also a Nearpod library that you can draw tools from. There's also something called EdPub, which I have not used in the past, where it has create um, videos that have questions embedded in it. BrainPop is another uh, online tool I've been using a lot. So I'm thinking those are probably most of the ones that seem to be pretty successful. Of course, there's this thing called Kahoot, which I'm not sure anyone's heard of before, but it's actually, um, on, it's a gaming. Uh, I guess you can just put in a topic. For example, um, I just taught matter and elements and I was able to type in questions in this Kahoot and then it makes it a class game where the students are given a code and then they can go into the game and compete against each other on the questions. Wow, that sounds fun. Um, I know Tim uses Nearpod, so that seems like that's a tool that's become quite popular because I have a couple friends who are using that. Well, Nearpod is great just because, I mean, like Amory, you were saying, I mean, it is a very user-friendly tool. It also, it has some pre-done content. Um, now, of course, I'm the math bias guy in teaching high school math. My one uh, knock on Nearpod is it isn't so great for math symbols when you want kids to share that. But in terms of having a tool that allows you to see what students are working on. That's one of my favorite things about Nearpod. Um, you can see what they're working on. They have the ability to collaborate. They can see each other's work if you want to choose to let them. Um, it, uh, it does a phenomenal job of providing that kind of opportunity uh, for collaboration, especially uh, when you have 
the situation like Anne Marie is describing, where you have a hybrid, where you're wanting to invite collaboration, and you have half your students looking at you and half of them wherever across the uh, across the board. I, I'm curious, Emory, has Nearpod, using Nearpod and, and tools like that where you can more actively engage and see what kids are engaging in, um, helped in terms of uh, knowing if kids are engaged even if their cameras are off for some reason? Absolutely, because you can see their names show up when we do the different activities. There's something the elementary kids love in Nearpod it's called Time to Climb where there's questions and they pick characters. And when they get the question, their characters climb the mountain. Um, and I can see their names as they climb the mountain. So I know if they're engaged or not. I'll say that that's, that's a great visual uh, and kind of makes it game. Like kids really do like those games and those little rewards, don't they? Amory, do your kids have the devices, the school district provided devices? Are they touchscreen or are they um, Chromebooks or something else? They're Chromebooks. Um, do they have touchscreen? Unfortunately, they do not. Yeah, I have the same feeling. Like a lot of those tools would be great. Uh, like Nearpod has a great draw tool, but if kids are stuck trying to use their touchpad um, or an external mouse, I mean, everyone I think has had the experience of trying to uh, do something of any <laughs> with any sort of creativity and neatness when you're stuck using a, a mouse as a cursor to as a drawing tool. Yeah, that happened today when we were drawing haciendas. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's at this point that I wish this was a visual podcast so I could ask you to share one because I'd be really curious to see what they look like. <laughs> Maybe I'll get you to send me a picture and we can post it in the cl- in the notes when we post the episode. So I have a question related to all this technology. So obviously teachers are using things that they may not have before because of the hybrid and the remote and the online learning. So let's say someday in the future, God, I hope we go back to normal where school is normal. Everyone's face to face. Do you think you will continue to use any of these tools or will that just stop once we're back into a face to face face to face environment? I think I would definitely still use tools like Nearpod and Edpuzzle and BrainPop. But of course, I would use them far less frequently. I think it would be a time to use it to reinforce learning. Um, but they are good tools. But of course, I, I hate seeing my fifth graders on in front of a screen all day. So I'd rather just pick and choose these tools. One question that I'm dying to ask, I've been holding off, Anne-Marie, you know, we, you and I have talked about this. So Anne-Marie and I were at a fire pit in the neighborhood and we were talking about, you know, the hardships of COVID and some of the things people don't think about. And it got into the discussion of lunch. So can you, aside from the students and the struggle with the grading and the keeping them apart, what are some other challenges that maybe people don't even realize are happening in the school? And you've got to talk about lunchtime. Well, at least in our elementary schools, the students are actually eating lunch in the classroom, which is not what we typically do. We usually have a cafeteria. So um, the students have, they take their masks off when they eat lunch. So as teachers, we would rather go eat lunch somewhere else. Well, we do have a faculty room, but it has no windows. And often there's other teachers finishing up their lunches when we walk down. So um, many times uh, my fifth grade team, you would see us wandering the hallways trying to find a place to eat lunch. There was the occupational therapist is only in our building on Tuesday. So sometimes we're able to go in there and socially distance and eat lunch in there, but he was there today. So we couldn't eat in there today. So um, it's funny, Karen, that I'm doing this today. You would have been laughing. So today was the funniest. 
is that we, uh, the parents have been fantastic, very supportive. And uh, we had a parent um, send in pizzas and um, salads for us to thank us. And they were all in the faculty room. So, and they, they left, we had gloves. I mean, everything so we could be very safe about. So by the time fifth grade eats lunch, it's one of the last lunches, the pizza's cold. So we get our gloves on and we put our piece of pizza on a paper plate. And we're thinking, well, let's go back to one of the classrooms. Maybe we can, um, the kids are still out at recess. Maybe we can microwave it. Well, we get back to the classroom that has the microwave. Well, the kids already came in from recess and they're eating lunch in the room. So my one colleague's like, I'm just going to go and unplug the microwave. So she goes in the room and then she comes out in the hallway and she's carrying this microwave while we're walking around to find a place to eat. And it was getting heavy. So luckily we had a science table with wheels in the hallway. So we put the microwave on the science table, found a room that wasn't being used and wheeled it in. And we microwaved our pieces of pizza and ate socially distanced apart. By that time we had about 10 minutes left. And then, then we had to wheel the part back out and put the microwave back in and go back and teach. So was it worth it? Yeah. Was it good pizza? No. <laughs> it wasn't even worth it. <laughs> I could have just eaten it. All right. So a, a, another practical question that you don't think about in terms of the logistics of trying to run a school. Um, how do you do uh, restrooms? Well, actually, I thought our school has a very good plan as far as for students, that the students actually have um, a laminated circular piece of paper with their initials on it and a magnet on the side of their desk. So when they have to use the bathroom, they'll hold that up and I can say yes. And then they have when they get to the they're only allowed to use one bathroom in the school for our classroom. And then they put the magnet on the door jam outside the bathroom and they have to make sure that there's no that I think they only can have three of those uh, magnetic things on the door jam. So if there's already three, they can stand outside and wait for someone to leave. And then um, then they can, um, when they come back to the classroom, then they put their magnet back on the side of their desk. But now what about sanitizing? Like sanitizing the bathroom? Is there somebody in there that's doing that? Or after each use? Or the, are you trusting the kids are washing their hands? Or do they come back to your room and use a sanitizer? How's that work? Oh, come on. Fifth grade boys are entirely anal, and I am sure that they are fastidious in scouring their hands every time, he says, having raised one. <laughs> of course, we tell them to wash their hands. And it's so weird because of um, COVID. Even when I'm in school teaching in person, I feel like I'm so isolated in my room. So I don't even know. I assume that our custodian is walking around and spraying things down and wiping things down. But I do know that um, when the students before and after lunch, we do make them socially distance line up in the classroom and wash their hands with soap and water. And, and even after lunch, my teacher assistant and I go around and we spray sanitizer on each of their desks and give them a paper towel to wipe their desks down. Yeah, just so much you don't even think about. So... That's a lot of sanitizing. So who is supplying all this? Like, like, has it run out of supply? Like, again, people don't, I don't think people realize how much sanitizer is needed if you're doing this in every school. Yeah, I mean, I know, I mean, they are constantly refilling whatever I have in my classroom, paper towels, sanitizer, um, the spray. I mean, so, I mean, I, I give the district credit that it seems like we have as much as we need. But I think you bring up an important bigger point, which is 
there is, I mean, schools are incurring significant cost to, to do education during COVID. Um, and I mean, in terms of uh, building maintenance, in terms of technology, um, I mean, there are significant costs that schools are incurring to make this work that I think needs to be respected. And how is that cost going to impact other things that they might normally spend their budget on, right? So, you know, you're, you're talking about manipulatives, Anne-Marie. So maybe now there's no more money for that because we're spending all that money on hand sanitizer. Well, and they can use their copier money. At least at our school, we're not allowed to use, we're not allowed to hand out copies of anything um, to the students. So we have no copying costs this year. Well, I know that um, our program, which has all these hands-on um, materials, that um, the school district actually had the program send boxes with all the manipulatives and then students who are um, 100% virtual, their parents could pick up these boxes. And also the math program does have, um, I guess, virtual versions like of spinners and dice and things like that. But I would think that the um, these boxes of all these manipulatives probably was quite costly that the, the district bought from um, the people who do our math program. All right. So I am curious, what program are you using? Bridges. Oh, all right. Yeah. Tim and I are both the math geeks here, so... <laughs> We're, very, we're excited about the hands-on. I mean, at least I am. I have great respect for Bridges. That's a great curriculum. And last year was our first year using it. And, um, and we were so excited because all the hands-on and, you know, all the partner collaboration. And then to go from that to, wait, how are we going to translate this great program virtually? So that's been a bit of a challenge. That actually might be a really interesting podcast if we could get somebody from Bridges or Everyday Math, which are very hands-on inquiry-based, you know, what's happening? How are you supporting teachers in a in hybrid or a, a online environment? Remind me of that later. I can help with both of those. Awesome. Tim knows people. All right. So we've talked about lunch and that's something people don't think about, but what other things are happening in, a, in the school that, I, that people probably don't even connect to the difficulty teaching and being in school during COVID? Because everyone is, everyone must go back to school, but what challenges are there to doing that other than obviously the classroom and teaching? I mean, even recess. I mean, I tell you what, yesterday was a tough day because it was indoor recess. So that means the students sit in their desk, in their seats, basically all day. I mean, they're there, you know, they sit, they have to sit in their desk for all the lessons and then if it's raining, they don't go out to recess. So they sit in their desk. They sit at their desk for lunch. So I, my heart goes out to them because I'm thinking, you know, here they are sitting on these plastic chairs all day. So recess is a big deal. Speaking of the desks, I'm just curious. I've seen pictures online of classrooms with desks with uh, plexiglass around them. Like, are, Did your school do anything besides distancing the desks? Did they do anything to modify the desks? No, I... I have plexiglass around my desk, but there's no plexiglass um, around the student desks. So are you actually, I guess you have to teach at your desk because I mean, I know you have probably a, a whiteboard or something, but if the plexiglass is around your desk, I'm assuming you're supposed to stay behind your desk. And especially if kids are on Zoom, how's that, how's that work? I had to rearrange my room to put my desk close to my smart board. So I actually have my desk in the very front of my room. And then I have another desk um, perpendicular to that because I have to have the monitor. 
I need to be able to see the monitor with the students on Zoom. And then I have another desk next to that that has another monitor that has the GoGuardian so I can see what um, tabs and what websites the students are on. So I feel like I have this like, I don't know, command center in the front of the classroom and then I have my smart board behind me. So I'm able to be live streamed on my smart board and the kids who are at home on Zoom can see me as well as the students in front of me. So yeah, I feel like I'm kind of contained in this command center. And I know, like for me personally, I'm a I'm a walker and a hand mover. It, I feel like that would be really difficult to to teach the way you know you're used to teaching, being confined to a command center. Star Trek. It drives me cr- crazy, Karen, because I'm the kind of teachers that it's same thing. I never sat at my desk. I was always walking around or sitting, you know, with kids and working in groups. So this is just so strange. Okay, so back to the kids sitting in their desks all day, which is horrible. One of the big reasons everyone is pushing for students to come to be in school is the socialization. Is that happening if they're basically confined to a desk six feet away from everyone else? Are they really able to socialize and and get that emotional uh, connection that is so important as part of their just learning and being a kid? You know, I do see it when we have downtime. So when the students come in the classroom in the morning, we usually have about 10 minutes until we officially start the day. So just even noticing um, this morning, they come in and even though they're six feet apart, they start talking about the elf on the shelf, that whose elf showed up today. Um, So that was, they still have those conversations. And when they're eating lunch, um, they there's some they they play these online games and they talk about how well they're doing. So I do see that they can talk to the students that are you know the closest desks, but obviously they're not able to talk to the student who's across the room. And we can't switch desks because we want them seated at the same desk each day for obviously for health reasons. Wow, just logistics alone seems like such a monumental task. And I try to do breakout rooms as much as we can when we do um, projects. For example, math today, um, they were doing some fraction problems. So um, they did work out in breakout rooms. And that's always a challenge because I can pop in and out of breakout rooms. But then if the student who's in person happens to be in that breakout room, then the sound just starts, you know, the feedback. So I have to jump back out of that breakout room. So it's just trying to figure out how I can monitor when I do want them to be able to communicate with each other, and, but they're in a breakout room, but I can't be in all those breakout rooms uh, at the same time. Yeah, I just the whole challenge of it. So uh, a question about, you know, in our district where we live, I know COVID cases are really on the rise. So have they had any discussion about whether they're just going to keep all students remote, teachers remote, those types of things? Has that come up yet? Like what's happening, you know, once the holidays come? Well, there is a school board meeting Thursday night because right now the plan is starting December 14th to offer five day all in person for elementary. And I believe January 4th to offer five day all in person for secondary. But um, I I do believe the school board will be discussing that now that the numbers have changed. So we're waiting to hear what will happen Thursday night. And I'm just curious, will the school board meeting be an in-person meeting or it will be on Zoom? Where on Zoom, we discuss putting kids all together. 
Um, I, I actually try to watch all the school board meetings. They, they are um, live streamed on YouTube. And when I watch them, it's actually a mix. I see some school board members in person at the meeting. Um, and I do hear some school board members calling in, or I don't know if they're on a Zoom that I just can't see, but I do hear their voices. So let me ask you this. Do you feel safe at school? Um, no. We all wear our masks. We try our best to distance apart, but we're inside for seven hours a day. Um, I try to keep my windows open, but with that rainstorm yesterday, we, we really couldn't keep our windows open. But it's just being inside for that sustained amount of period um, is a concern. Yeah. And do they, you know, do they take that into account? Do they listen? Because I'm sure you are not the only teacher that feels this way. And, and you know, it's not proven, but students are less at risk is what they say to COVID. So it's the teachers that are, are really the ones at higher risk. So does anyone take that into consideration? I know when I do watch the school board meeting, meetings, our administration, I definitely hear that they are listening to us and we've been given surveys about how we feel. So we are able to give our feedback. Do, do you know of any teachers that like did not come back when things went back to face to face? Yes, I, I do. I, I know some teachers who took um, a leave of absence because when we went from virtual to hybrid. So your school, your district didn't give teachers the option of uh, teaching from home. My understanding, and again, I just sometimes feel so isolated in our classrooms because we don't really get a chance to always communicate with teachers around the district. But my understanding is, is that if they can find a substitute to take your position, then you will take a leave of absence. But if you have maybe a specialty area that you teach that they can't find someone, that you would be given the opportunity to teach virtually until they found someone who was qualified to take your position. I mean, it's not easy. I just, our, at our school, we have lots of teachers who couldn't come to campus for various health reasons. Now I teach at a private school, so it's a whole different game, right? Um, but they, so basically they hired these proctors that will sit in the room while the teacher teaches online. I heard that is the case in some, I think in some positions in the high school, because they were not able to find someone qualified to, to teach in person for that, whatever subject area. Where elementary, it might not be as challenging to find someone qualified. So um, I'm not aware of an elementary teacher that is able to teach virtually and then have um, a proctor or um, someone in the room with the students. But again, I'm isolated in my building. It, it's just so strange because you don't really get to talk to other people. You're so consumed. I mean, you know how much work this is. There isn't even time really to talk to other people. And so speaking to that, feeling isolated and you're consumed with your own class and your own things. I know that definitely when I was in middle and high school, there was a lot of like if teachers who were teaching the same subject, we might plan together. And so I know you probably have a fifth grade team and used to plan together. Does any of that still happen? I'm, I'm assuming it's probably all virtual. And then how do faculty meetings even take place? Like how is the leadership supporting you? Um, it's actually great that you asked that question, Karen, because right now when we went to the hybrid model, we have virtual Wednesdays and on virtual Wednesdays, the student school day ends at 245 as opposed to 330. 
So we're given time after that 245 time to do Zoom team meetings where we plan together. That's exactly, in fact, tomorrow at three o'clock, my team is going to Zoom and do our planning together. Um, however, if the district does move forward with five days a week in person, we obviously won't have those Wednesday hybrid days. So um, we are wondering how we'll have that time to because we so need that time because it's so much work to plan all these lessons virtually. And the faculty meetings we do through Zoom. So it just all seems so challenging. And I know you are working as hard as you can. So is there anything positive? that you can say about the experience so far with COVID? Because I think we're always looking for the negative, but is there something, anything that you feel is a good outcome as a result of this? Gosh, I have to say, I just finished doing 27 Zoom parent conferences. And I have to tell you, I was so impressed. The parents are just so supportive and they keep saying how thankful they are. And I just feel, I feel that the parents are so grateful because they know how hard we're working. So to me, that is something good that parents appreciate us. I think they always appreciated teachers, but I'm wondering if they appreciate us on a different level. I would think so, because a lot of them are maybe homeschooling in whatever form that takes for the first time and realizing that teachers work really hard. Okay, I'm just amazed, I'm just amazed at the 27 Zoom conferences. Now, like over what period of time? That's darn impressive. Yeah, you know, um, the, typically I, in this area, school districts will give days, the, um, the week of Thanksgiving. Like, for example, our school district does an early dismissal day on the Monday before Thanksgiving. So we have from one o'clock to four o'clock to do parent conferences. Tuesday, the students have early dismissal. We do conferences. To, last Tuesday night, I had conferences from one o'clock till eight o'clock at night. And then Wednesday, the students have off from school and we do conferences from 8.30 to noon. So our day ends at noon. But Tim, honestly, because our class sizes are so big, I, that's not enough time for me to get all my conferences in. So I started doing Zoom parent conferences the week before. I would schedule conferences before school and after school almost every day the week before Thanksgiving in order to get them all done. Wow. And all the teachers listening to this podcast are expressing admiration and saying, see, for all of you who don't think us teachers work hard. Yeah, that's amazing. And so uh, that leads to the obvious question. Are you working harder than you have ever before? Sure sounds like it. Unbelievable. I mean, I'm, I'm used to working hard. I mean, I, I've always been the first car in the parking lot. Um, I used to get to school at 7 a.m. We don't have to be there till 8.30. Now I'm there at 6.30 in the morning. Um, I do work every night. I work both days every weekend. Um, I, I worked hard before, but I've never worked like this. I mean, it, the, the phrase I keep hearing from my colleagues is, how do we sustain this? Because it is overwhelming. Yeah. It, I mean, it sounds exhausting. And at, being a teacher myself, I know that I put in a ton of extra time, but that sounds, you know, almost like 24 hours a day, every day. And, and eventually teachers are going to burn out. Like, are you sensing that in your, in your colleagues that there's people going, if this keeps up, I'm going to quit or I just can't do this anymore. I would imagine that's a very common thought. Absolutely. I, and the, I think the surveys that we've been given, that's been some feedback that we have heard. Um, it's just, it's so difficult to sustain this. Um, just re, since 
our elementary teachers, we teach all subjects to have to retool every single lesson for every, we teach five subjects every day. So we have to make, we have to redo every single lesson to make sure it can be accessed virtually. And then there's days people don't think about this either that, um, my class had library last week. And when the kids go to library, that's a time where I can use my prep for my lessons while the librarian was absent. There was no substitute. So I have to be with the kids then. So those things are coming up too, that there's a lack of, it's, it's difficult anyhow to find substitutes, but especially now. So when they can't find substitutes for those special area teachers, then we have we lose that time to go and do our preparation that we're stuck, we are with the students. Yeah, that's a whole nother topic is this idea of uh, folks being willing to be substitute teachers during COVID for the limited money that most subs get paid and the risks that they're being asked to take on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, also thinking, I don't know, you know, what will happen when we maybe do go five day all in person? What's going to happen with that? I am really surprised that that is the next phase, considering how high our COVID numbers are. But hopefully there'll be a good discussion about that and they'll change their mind. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of parental pressure. I mean, the reality is, especially I would assume, and Anne-Marie, correct me if I'm going astray here, that at the elementary level, I mean, our our entire economic system is sort of built on at some point you the kids go to school during the day so that the parents can go to work or do whatever. Um, and so, I mean, there's a lot of pressure on schools to go back and fill the role that they're supposed to be filling. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I, my heart goes out to parents. I mean, and I think my fifth graders are pretty good with technology. I'm thinking about if you have a first grader. Um, I just can't imagine, you know, a first, you know, having a first grader at home and still being able to to do your job, even if a parent is working from home. I would think you'd have to be next to that first grader. Um, so I'm sure there is a lot of pressure. So I'm looking at the time here, and we're kind of coming to the wrap up time. And I have so much admiration for the work you and all the teachers are doing. It's just like every time I listen to a different perspective. I'm just amazed that you are going through all this and have such a positive attitude. That's exciting. So just thank you so much for sharing. And if there's any last minute thoughts that you'd like to share with us, please do so. But I really appreciate you talking about this and, and, you know, opening some eyes to what's actually happening in schools. It's not as easy as just going back to school. Let me second the admiration. First of all, I admire fifth grade teachers to begin with. I have the distinct memory of meeting my son's fifth grade teacher and then her explaining that she had to introduce the word deodorant to her students. So those of you who teach students that age, you have my deepest and most sincere admiration. Plus, you have to teach five different subjects. I, I consider myself tired at the end of the day and I only have to teach math. Um, so I... I <laughs> Yes, I, I will say I've always admired ele elementary teachers having to teach every subject. Yeah. Real and sincere admiration for all the hoops you're jumping through to make this work. It's incredible. Well, thank you. And uh, you know what? The one thing that does save us is to have a sense of humor. And some days it's really hard. But I, I, I don't know if I shared this story with Karen. Um, I think it was two weeks ago. I don't know if there was some weather issue. But um, the Wi-Fi went out at school when I was doing hybrid teaching. And all of a sudden, my monitor went blank and all my um, Zoom kids were gone. And the in-person students are looking at me like, what do we do? 
And I'm like, okay, all right. So uh, within two minutes, I was able, the Wi-Fi came back on and the students come back from Zoom and they're all muted. Um, uh, and I'm like, what's going on? And they said, what happens is, is that Zoom assigns one of the students to be the host when that happens. So the girl who, that became the host decided she was going to mute everyone and not unmute them until uh, she felt like I've got the power. <laughs> so I, I have to say that was kind of, we, we all just started laughing about it. I didn't even assume that Zoom would make one of the students host. So this, when we had that storm yesterday, the students were like, oh, maybe we'll lose power. It's going to be our host next. The little things in life that get them excited, right? Right. So trying to keep a sense of humor um, amidst all this is, is the thing that kind of gets us through it. Yeah, we got to hang on to something. So thank you, Anne-Marie, so much for sharing your stories and experiences. Uh, I just really am in awe of all that you are doing. And thank you so much for talking with us. And for those of you listening, please make sure that you follow us and check out our website where you will see the notes and we'll have links to everything on our episode and we hope to see you again in a future or not see you hear you again in a future episode all right thank you thank you there will always be those who scoff at intellectual who cry out against research who seek to limit our educational system the educated citizen knows how much more there is